right, listener, as you're waiting for this podcast to start, maybe look at your phone or your computer and hit the subscribe button. We need subscribers for sure. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. We put a lot of effort into it and we love the people that listen to us. We want to hear from you and we want you to subscribe. Now let's get on with this. Welcome to episode number 60. That is 60 episodes of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Now, real estate agents, once they are licensed, can work on a variety of transactions. Those transactions might be commercial, they could be residential, agricultural, or merely just land. The differences between those specializations are drastic, and there's numerous credentials out there that solidify the specialty of a real estate agent. While National Land Realty has a highly successful commercial division, we are here today to talk more about rural land, or as we call it, land professionals. What makes a land professional different than a residential real estate agent besides the name? We're here to talk today with Texas land professional Wayne Dunson about exactly that. Wayne actually works on both residential and rural real estate, which provides terrific insight on the differences between the two. Now, sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with the one and the only Wayne Dunson out of Texas. And uh, Wayne, you've been on here before. So um, you know, just kind of go through again real quick. You know, how did you get, you got started in land. Um, you know, you went to school and your family kind of, it was a kind of a thing in your family, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, I used to work for USDA. That's what I went to school to do, uh, to be a range specialist and got out of grad school and I did that uh, for a while, but I got licensed uh, to practice real estate while I was in grad school. And uh, my folks just always told me that, you know, one of these days you're going to need that. And it turned out the government found that to be a conflict of interest. So uh, <laughs> I never could use it. Um, you know, so I eventually just left behind uh, that really fun government career and went full-time real estate in 2008. So uh, but you know, that was primarily residential and it wasn't until I found national land in 21 that I got to really spread my wings and bring the passion back into what I do now, which is real estate, uh, and adding in the land factor, which has been huge for me. Yeah. And so we, we were, you know, our discussion here today is sort of, uh, you know, land versus residential and, and you have worked in both markets pretty heavily and, have it being someone who has done both, you know, you have a background that lends itself to it. You know, you worked in range management, right? So, I mean, you, you are well-educated, well-steeped in knowledge for land management. Can any, what, what does it take for somebody to be able to work effectively in land real estate and can a residential agent just walk in and do it? You know, the, the land, when you start looking at land sales, and I mean, this could just be subjective on my side or opinionated or whatever you want to say. But if you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to land, especially if you go out and meet with a landowner and, and they start showing you around what they've got and you have absolutely no idea what you're looking at or how to market it or what it's worth. Um, most of these guys are more educated than, than the average bear, especially landowners. And they know what they've got. 
And they are going to pick you out really fast if you don't have some kind of knowledge and expertise or some type of background in that field. Um, I mean, you can't just get licensed off the internet and run out there and become a ranch specialist. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I, I just don't see how you would make it and be successful without some serious training uh, and some help to learn that knowledge. And so, I mean, you see a lot of people that get into the land game, they have an ag background. Maybe they grew up running cattle or ranching or farming. Um, you know, if you grow up in that industry, well, that's a little different because you've got a working knowledge of the land. And so that helps. But as far as just uh, deciding one day, you know, I just don't think I want to work my office job anymore. I'm going to get licensed and sell multi-million dollar ranches. It's going to be a tough gig. <laughs> how does that how does that compare, say, to somebody saying, all right, I'm going to get my real estate license. I'm going to walk in and sell some residential real estate, you know, day one. And let, let's make a, an even comparison, right? Like, you know, a million dollar ranch versus a million dollar residential house. What's what's sort of the comparison and knowledge said, would somebody be able to just walk in and sell the house versus sell a ranch? No, you know, especially if you're looking, at least in my market, million bucks is going to be a, that's starting to get onto the more high end. And some of those clients are, they're pretty, they're pretty educated too, pretty well versed on what properties are worth to, to some degree. Um, and they can be a little more needy. Um, and, and they want their property property truly marketed, right? Not just stab a sign in there and stick it in MLS and hope for the best, right? They're probably going to want some real stuff done uh, to prove that you're actively marketing this million-dollar property. Uh, so even that's going to take some training. I mean, uh, most of the licensing, you know, when you get out, there's supposed to be some type of training that takes place. I feel like data is more readily available, though, when it comes to residential so if you come into a residential office and there's agents, you've got your broker or maybe some transaction coordinator or a manager, they can, they can kind of generate some leads and send you to some home deals. And I, I mean, most everybody has at least minimal knowledge of what it takes to live in a property. Now, if they've never owned a home, they may be pretty, pretty ignorant on all of it. Uh, but just the basic facts, I think, residential is just an easier market. I mean, you can get on HGTV and watch stuff about home sales. Now, some of it's sensational um, and you're going to have to truly learn what really works. Uh, I mean, so there's pitfalls to all of it. Uh, it just takes a different skill set. And uh, I mean, I, I just got licensed in New Mexico and, and I don't know how to use their forms. You know, I'm going to have to do some training over there. Uh, I don't know their market. I'm going to have to learn that market over there. Texas is a different story, but uh, even then, I had to have training. When you go through and take all your coursework, you get a basic concept of real estate principles and brokerage and law and contracts, but it's all on the job training. So, you know, from the aspect of somebody thinking, I'm just going to go out there and become a millionaire overnight by getting my real estate license, the reality of it is it's not that easy. <laughs> You're going to have to get out there and actually learn on the job. And uh, some of that comes by making mistakes. Uh, kind of getting buried in the weeds there and working your way through some stuff. How and what, what's the difference in say like the networking that you do in real estate in residential versus real estate for land? Because, because, you know, that's, that's sort of it. Like you're trying to become known. You're, you're trying to like get out and introduce yourself to people. What's sort of the, how does that differentiate between the two markets? Man, you just hit on my biggest kryptonite right now for me. <laughs> uh, seriously. 
So when I first got into residential, I was I'd been working in another part of the state on ranches where I rarely saw other people. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't understand the business side of that, the networking, uh, how all that worked. And so I joined a business networking group called BNI International. I was say, was it BNI? <laughs> yes. And so I joined BNI here locally to try to meet some other business professionals to get some type of a little referral network going. Right. You know, and, so you got somebody in there that sells promotional products and pens and hats. You got an insurance person, a plumber, and you got your accountant in there. You got your contractor. You got your plumber. Yes. You got your insurance sales. Yep. Yes, and I had to learn a sixty-second commercial about how to ask for referrals and this that and the other. You know what? Honestly, it was beneficial coming from my background. I needed to learn that, um, and that was a pretty easy referral network to set up right there. And bam. We're all in town. I can drive to anybody's house that they send me to in 10 minutes or 15. I mean, so it was a, a lot easier to lay the groundwork to start trying to get established. Um, you know, ranch sales, I'm still to this day uh, working on spreading out my network. Part of it's because I do divide time, you know, between residential and commercial, I mean, residential and land. Um, but it's a little different. So, what I'm finding, one of my favorite guys to talk to, he's the main sales dude at a feed store. He knows absolutely everybody. And he knows what's going on with everybody in the county. You might as well be going to the barbershop. The dude has all the gossip. Um, I was gonna say, so, you, so I grew up, that was my family business, was a feed mill. My uncle, okay. my uncle and my grandpa built a feed mill. And it, it, I think my grandpa built it with his dad. It's 115 years old now, 110 years old now, somewhere in that range. It's, it's since been bought out by another family, but I grew up from the time I was about seven shoveling grain in this thing. And I remember exactly that. Like I, I was always like, my uncle has the coolest job ever. Cause like he throws a couple bags in the back of a truck and then talks to whoever was driving the truck for the next hour. And it's like, how's the weather? What's the harvest like? How many head, you know, do, 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 do you need more feed for your head? It's, it's like sort of a trite question. You can't ask somebody how many head of cattle they're running. That's like, that's like asking them what religion they are, or what, how they're going to vote or whatever. I'm like, you can't yeah. do that. You're going to get slapped around. But, but it would be like, you know, like, how are you doing? You know, do you need more grain? And it, like, so then they'd talk commodity prices. I mean, it was just, and then, then we go into like, did you see what Frank's doing next door? And they're irrigating like a dummy. And I mean, this, this conversation just keep going. And you're exactly right. It's like a barbershop. It's like they know all the gossip. The feed store knows all the gossip. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really need to probably branch out a little bit more. And I'm working on it. I mean, I really am. I'm just the area that I'm at, you know, you cover three hours or so from where my home office is. It, it just takes a little time to spread yourself out. So I'm going to have to be a little more intentional, but I get a, I get a lot to, from talking to attorneys, especially in these little title companies, um, because they're dealing with estates and families transferring property amongst family members. Um, I'm seeing it a lot, at least in my area. And, and I don't know if this is a thing everywhere, but uh, generationally, a lot of these younger generations just don't have any desire to even work the land. And the values are so high now. I mean, I, I can see why they wouldn't, you know, I mean, what their grandparents gave for it back in the day, you know, they could run cattle and pay for it. You can't buy one of those run cows and make money. I mean, it's, you're buying it for investment or recreational or whatever, in most cases. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of turnover and I'm working on one right now with an attorney 
uh, fortunately, he reached out to me and he's working on an estate. He needed help, right? This piece of land was out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And he wasn't going to drive out there and look at it for the family. He needed a guy that knew about land values, knew the area, uh, knew a little bit about oil and gas, which I have some experience with too. And so uh, he asked me to go look at it. And so that's a that's been a, a pretty powerful resource. But I've even found that surveyors and appraisers, man, I'm having to network with all these guys because uh, it's, a, it's just a different world uh, than just logging into MLS and going to the BNI group. You know, it's, it takes a lot more hustle and a, and a lot more involvement. I think that the more local you can get with the people in those communities, the more trust you gain. It, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a little different world for sure. I, I think that, that, you know, what, what you just pointed to kind of illustrates it right to where when you're working in residential, you're in a condensed area of population. And so you meet it, so you you brought up you know BNI this business networking international right? Um, yeah. I've I've been to several of those. It, it, when I when I worked in uh, in ad agency sales, I would go around and meet a lot of those groups. And it was like what the the part that I would always run into. It's like you want to network, but the only people you're meeting are other people trying to sell you things too. And it's like what I is what I read into a lot is like well I want to meet people. I don't want to get so I don't need insurance you know, right now. <laughs> invariably that would happen it was like it's almost like they need to set up that thing of like nobody sells to anybody in this room it is a strictly get to know you and then like when when conversation comes up you know who to refer because it was like i would it, it was there would be this kind of like sales pitch to me and it's like i didn't come here to buy anything i'm no <laughs> and, and so there's there's some of that you gotta find the right group because some of the groups some of the groups are like that some of the groups are not some of the groups are really based on referral and getting to know you because because it would be like you would show up and it would say, well, this is your person for insurance. Like, well, I don't know this guy. Like, I'm not necessarily going to refer him right now because I just met him. So I'm, I'm not going to throw that referral right now because I don't know if my customer is going to get taken care of. And so you would have to you have to go through that get to know you process and make sure that that it, it is indeed a good fit. Um, and but but in those business networking groups, you've got a readily made population right there. And and you're in a city center. You can go out, you can meet people, they know people, and, and you've got the the um the six degrees of separation law going on all over because it's like somebody knows somebody that knows somebody everywhere in town. Then you get to land where you have to go to the feed store to even get information about who's nearby and who's buying what or what's going on, or an estate attorney who's working with somebody six hours away. That the, like you just said it yourself, the estate attorney is not even willing to go check it out themselves, right? Like that's how far away it is. So you're trying to get to know people on this wide basis. And then when in when you're people in a condensed population, their guard is down because they meet people on a regular basis, right? They're, they're, they're used to engaging with strangers on a regular basis. When you get to the rural communities, it is guarded. It's straight up like you ain't from here. Who are you? And, and like, it's so not only is it hard to meet them in the first place, but you've got to go through like a fraternity hazing just to like give them a pie. Like just because of like, you've got to prove that you are not, you don't have an agenda. You're just seeking to get to know them. You are just networking. You're not out there to take advantage of them. Like their guard is up. <laughs> and so the networking is totally different, right? Like it's a whole different ball game. Oh man. Yeah. And, and it comes, you know, you run into some other stuff too. I went and looked at a lady's place and, um, it, it, it had a lot of, uh, potential, 
but there was only one windmill on this whole place. And that would have been the only water source. And I said, look, I think you could do a lot better if you, if you get this windmill repaired. And she said, well, I had a guy quote it and it's going to cost me $10,000. And I said, you could drill a whole new well. Like that doesn't even make sense to just repair this windmill. And, um, so I referred her a guy that I know that fixes windmills and that's kind of a unique trade, but it's somebody that I know. And I got him out there and he fixed her windmill for like $800. Oh my gosh. And had that thing up and running. No problem. Just put some new rods and some leathers in the windmill. Bam. She had it working and that thing hadn't ran in like eight years. And now all of a sudden she's putting feet out and she almost didn't list the property because she was like, wow, we're seeing deer. I've been feeding raccoons. Me and my husband just go out there now and take the dog. And we're having so much fun. Ultimately they did sell, but, um, having that guy, right. And just like with our preferred, uh, the preferred, uh, provider that, uh, the contractor list, the thing that we're putting together on our website for the people that we could say, Hey, I've worked with these people. That's kind of the, the coolness of that tool that we have. Uh, but I need to make sure that guy's on that list. Cause he saved my bacon on that deal, but yeah, you do. The, so you're talking about the preferred service provider program Yes, uh, yeah. And, together on, on our website, which is, yeah, that's, it's exactly that it's people that you've worked with that you, you have to have worked with them before they have to have a good reputation and you put them on there for business referrals. Yeah. And me and this guy go back to working on a ranch together. Like, I mean, I've known that dude forever. Um, I know he's honest and it uh, turns out he's just wicked good with windmills too. And that's all he does. Like he's a windmill guy. It's, it's sort of a unique thing, but uh, it turned out that it was invaluable to know that guy. And, but you know, you talk about uh, people not knowing who you are. I, uh, I get contacted a lot by folks that don't live anywhere near where their property is nowhere near it's family land. They've inherited it. Maybe they're getting royalties in the mail. So they just sat on it until the production goes down. They're like, eh, I'm going to sell it now. And I went out and looked at a place for the first time. And this was last year and I've since sold this property. And I had a guy cut me off with a Jeep. He had an AR 15 in the front seat and he was ready to get down because he had absolutely no idea who I was. And somebody else had been spotted on a neighboring ranch and the description of that truck looked similar to mine. And that truck wasn't supposed to be there. Turned out, because I'm from out here, we knew buddies and uh, my old college professor from grad school runs cattle on a ranch that he helps manage. And we knew each other. Next thing you know, I got a sunburn on my left arm, hanging out the window, talking to the guy. But he was ready to hold me up and get the sheriff there because he thought I was not supposed to be on that ranch. So, and, and I didn't take it offensive. I, I thought, what a great neighbor. You know, he's uh, just looking out for everybody else. Um, but you're not going to have that happen in a residential when you just show up at a house. <laughs> no, never. Heck, you could have squatters there for a year and nobody would know. No, you probably have to fight to have them removed by the sheriff. They may be trying to claim it with adverse possession. Oh, totally that. Well, and, and so you just, you just spoke to another thing that, that is, it's, it's a definite, like this is, it's a rural thing. It's the, who do you know game? Like, you, you, you meet somebody from a small town and it's like, then you go through the process of how long you've been there. Because if you, if it's within five years, you're not really a local yet. And so if it's within five years, you're not necessarily embedded. And then it's down to who do you know? Do you know so-and-so? Do you know? And if you know somebody that's a common name, it's like, okay, I can, I can find out about you now. And, and then it's like, who, who else do you know? And, and you, you go through this, it's a vetting game of like, are you really, you know, are you of this community? Like, do you belong yeah. here? And it's totally, it's, and it's, 
it's not like a suspicious, crazy game. It's just that like different people have different agendas and you've got to be careful about that. And when it comes to small towns, one person can make a larger impact because in a, in a large, in a large community, like a, like a city, you know, an urban area, one person's not going to make or break your reputation. One person's like, no one cares. Like one person could slander you and no one ever is going to hear about it. But in a small town, one person says the wrong thing. You get your hair done at the wrong place or whatever. Everyone knows the next day. So you have to like know and be careful. And like, and if you rip somebody off, you're done. <laughs> like that's. Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't want to do that. You're never going to do business in that County again. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause everyone's going to know within, within a week. Well, you hit on something too that I wasn't really thinking about. So uh, when you look at the number of realtors in my market, there's, I think, upwards of around 3,000, which is, that's not huge, but it's a decent sized MSA, probably around 2,500, I mean, 250,000 people in two counties. Uh, We've got two MLSs. I'm a member of both boards, but I primarily sell in one. And there's about 800 people that are set up in that MLS. Um, And there may be on a good month, 150 sales. And just like, um, so that's, that's in one month in our MLS and that board. So that's 150 houses that have moved. That's not that much when you've got hundreds of realtors, right? That's still a lot of people not getting a sale that month. But if you look at the last, say, look at the first quarter of uh, what's region three, I think is what it's called here um, at the real estate research center on land sales. There were 70 sales in the first quarter of tons of counties. So you've got a whole lot less volume. Now there's less ranch realtors, but because there's less volume, it's still a very highly competitive game, more so than I would have ever thought before I got into it. And I was going to say too, like your sales cycle is longer with land, like to residential, you're freaking out. If your listing has been on the market for three months, right? Like that's like, you're like, Oh no, time, something yeah. is wrong. But with land, it's not an, uh, there's been listings, quality listings priced appropriately on the market for five years because they're unique or, you know, a year is not unheard of at all. You know, like in actually I would say a year's probably fairly common. Those ones that like get picked up and get sold within a couple months. Like those are, that's a sweet thing right there. But, but I would say that's not the norm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you look at average days on market. I wish I had the stats right now for the, the residential board, but it's probably around 40 to 45 days. Yeah. Not bad at all. So you can pretty much bet if you list a house from list and, and, and it'll price it all right. And it's in a good location, good price range. You're going to list it, get it under contract, close it and be paid 90 days. And you're on to the next one, you know, just on average. Um, and yeah, land, that's just uh not traditionally how that goes for sure. And it's uh, a little different. I mean, you know, I can go through with my little Matterport camera and do a quick little home tour and uh, take some pictures and do whatever. And, and it's not that difficult to market that. And as soon as we load it in the MLS, it's just going to shoot out to all these other sites like realtor.com and Zillow and Troya and whatever, and any, anything that we're syndicating with. So you get a lot of exposure fast. You think about what we go through on the expense side. If I've got to drive three hours to go look at a piece of ground, just first visit. And then maybe I go back again to meet with the landowner a second time. That's another round trip of six hours. 
Maybe I'm going to take my Can-Am, right? Oh, so, say, you got your side-by-side -side out there too. You have the, yeah. Whatever you spend on the side-by-side, -side, whatever you spend on the gas for the side-by-side, -side, repair yes. for that because invariably someday you're getting stuck in that thing when you're touring a property. You got your trailer, <laughs> you got your trailer expense that you take out there too. And so then you have, it's not just the gas, it's the gas plus the weight of the trailer and the side-by-side -side that you're hauling out there. Yeah. I get about eight miles a gallon when I pull mine. And, uh, <laughs> and then because I live pretty remote, um, it's hard to get contract people to fly drone. So I got licensed, uh, which that's not a bad thing. I actually like it. And so then I'll go out there and I fly my drone. We do our land tour 360 and we do our aerial pictures and all of that, which is killer on the marketing end. I mean, nobody can top that, but all of these things, it takes a lot of time and investment on our side to even get these to market. Um, it's, it's a lot different. Um, a lot more involved. Say, I want to speak um, to that real quick. You brought up the land tour 360. What he's talking about here is taking a drone up in the sky and creating a 3d rendering fly through of the property, similar to when you see 3d walkthroughs of houses. It's something that our company does. Nobody else has it because we're able to like geolocate specific targets on that 3d sky tour to where somebody can go in and tour your land from the air and see different locations on the ground. And I just want to, I had to plug it, man. You mentioned it. So <laughs> no, I'm glad you did. It, I think it's one of my favorite things. And in fact, when I was, I was looking at a place last week, it was that very deal. I drove three and a half hours. The guy is a Vietnam vet fixing to be 80. He'd actually been blown up by a bomb. Like it just barely missed him, but he was badly injured. Couldn't get around. Um, and so I took my Can-Am just to drive him around so that he could show me his place because there's no other way to do it. He couldn't walk it and there's no roads really. So the only way to make that happen was to take the Can-Am and let him point out everything to me, which is great. I mean, I get a firsthand knowledge of the ranch from the guy that's owned it for the last like 17 years. And we get to know each other, right? That's a great time to just talk about common interests, backgrounds, whatever. Um, Cause pretty solid one-on-one -on -one time when you're middle of nowhere with no distractions. And he's just bragging about how cool his place is. And I get a full on update of all of it. And then while I'm there, I'm like, Hey dude, I've got my drone here. You want to sit in here while I fly it? He's like, yes. So I get my drone and I send it up and I do, uh, I do my panos and, you know, I'm telling him like, listen, I'm going to have to stitch all this and, you know, I can show you all that later, but here we'll fly it. I'm going to take some steals and whatever. Yeah. We had a great time together. And he was just blown away that I could even just fly a drone and take pictures like it, to him, you know, uh, he, he thought that was the coolest thing, but, uh, it's a different level of preparation. And I, I, I will say this, I got by without, without having a side-by-side -side for a short while. Um, but then I spent like five grand having my truck worked on and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm pulling the trigger. This is a must. I've got to have it. Um, and, and I don't regret it. It was a great purchase. I mean, it, it's better for the clients, but it's better for everybody uh, involved, really. So you spoke to a couple things there, too, if we're talking about the differences between like a residential market and, and a land market is. I, I've worked with, you know, several of my own home sales. I, I work with a guy here locally, you know, for the most part until we get a you know, national land person out here. Uh, but worked with this guy a few times now and it's like I've I've sold multiple deals with him. I've never spent more than an hour with him. And and like touring the property I'm selling or touring the properties that I'm looking at. And what you're talking about is that's a day. 
that's a like you're hanging out you're with that person or on their land or talking to them it's a day and and for these larger properties it's more than one day for one single property right and like that's a whole different ball game yeah there's a lot and every, every now and then we'll get lucky we'll have some absentee people that are a little more versed on what's going on or inherited it and they don't really care you know we, we get a little bit of everything but i would say in general it is a little more in-depth um i'm not just putting a listing together and uh, emailing them a seller's disclosure and saying fill it out you know and i'll be by on tuesday to take some pictures it's uh it's a whole nother level of involvement because there's a lot of emotion now there's emotion in homes too especially estates and things of that nature somebody's been there for a long time and raised their kids it can be an emotional move even on a house side but the amount of sweat equity equity and memories that goes into land really seems, and I tell people a lot, if I could sell your emotion, I don't know if I could put a price on it, right? The amount of memories and uh, feelings that go along with this piece of ground that you've been working on for however many years, in some cases, generations, um, it, it's tough for them to let go. It's, it's not, it's not transactional at all. It's not so much. I need X amount of money or I'm not going to sell it. It's like, this is all I've ever known. And you're selling my childhood or I grew up on this ranch. And, you know, it gets, it gets pretty deep. Like you can feel it when you're there, you, you ride around with them, just how hard it is for them to even think about letting it go. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a kind of a privilege in my opinion to get to run around with these people. I mean, I've had a guy take me to a bus stop. It just looks like an old CRP field next to a windmill. And he's like, Nope, this used to be where the school bus picked the kids up. I'm just like, I was blown away, middle of nowhere, like 20 miles from the nearest town. And I'm like, you mean a bus drove way out here to the yeah. county road, picked you up at this windmill? And he goes, yep. That's the only reason that extension of the county roads here is where the bus picked us up. I would have never known that if that guy hadn't had real life experience growing up there. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and so we, we covered it really briefly there too. And the, the valuating of like a residence versus land. And, and like, you know, you go into a residence and you have like a standard, you, you pull a comp, right? You, what's comparable to this house that is sold. And then you look at it and then you look at it. Okay. Well, this one sold here, but it didn't have granite countertops. So I can associate this much more money because of the granite countertops, the home improvements, or maybe this other one doesn't have any improvements and I can mark it down a little bit. And you, you can, you can find your base really easily. I, well, I would argue most of the time really easily, but you can find a base somewhat comparable run your comps and say, okay, we're, we're, we're in range between 40 and 50,000. Like we've, we've got it, we got it dialed here with land. It's, you could find an identical piece of land in terms of acreage, in terms of maybe home on that land, in terms of maybe, you know, irrigation, you can find all, like a side by side, that stuff all lines up and they are still not even close. Like just give it on an area, how well the land's maintained, what's gone into it, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, they could be neighbors and still not even priced the same, right? It's it's just a different valuation. Yeah, and that's where the expertise I think comes in. So, yeah, you can you can get into MLS on most occasions, like you were saying, and pull up a bunch of houses, and I can spit out a market analysis in an hour or two without really working too hard most of the time. I mean, you know, if, if it's normal stuff and when it comes to land, man, I rely on appraisers. We're going into a lot of different land sales platforms. I'm looking at what other places sold for. 
Um, something that I now ask pretty much to everybody up front, what do you want for this property? Cause a lot of them had a neighbor that sold for whatever, and they think it's worth that much, but they don't know anything about the neighbor's place or did it really sell for that much. Um, in most cases they do know, cause they did talk at the feed store, like we were talking about or at the local coffee shop or at the gin or at the vet. Um, who knows what, what it was, uh, these guys talk to each other and um, it's, yeah, there's, it's almost like an art and, and I've taken, I took one last year and, and we sold it and it took seven months to get a buyer on it because we had to find the right person that saw the value and there were no comps to justify this property, but I knew in my heart what he wanted for it was not an unreasonable demand if I could find a buyer for it and I did get one comp, just one from an appraiser for more than what this guy wanted for this place. And I knew I could do it. And we had, we finally found somebody that paid them cash within a small percentage of what they were asking. Um, but it was a hard ask and I had a lot of people lowball it. And my guy said, I know what I got. I'm not selling it till I get it. And, um, I knew we could do it and we did, <laughs> it was hard. And, and that was one of those that I, I don't recommend everybody do, but the, the uniqueness of this property and where it was situated, the topography, the house was incredible. It had a ton of groundwater for this location. That was rare. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that it was hard to put a real figure on. Um, but as a total package deal, I felt like we could get it there. So I found as much supporting documentation as I could get in case we had to get into an appraisal situation that I could try to justify some figures because I wanted to back up my seller. Ultimately somebody just rolled in there, stroked a check and said, yeah, I think, I think uh, we're close enough and we got a deal cut. But uh, yeah, that, there's a lot more that goes into that. I mean, you start looking at fences, what kind of access is it? Is it deed easement? Is it highway frontage? Is it County road frontage? Is there electricity? What's the groundwater like? What's the wildlife like? You know, we talk a lot about highest and best use. Uh, if it's in the middle of nowhere, that's probably pretty much going to be a said thing. But maybe it's not if you've got a high line running overhead. Is there a possibility to put a solar farm out there? Like, you know, um, is there oil income being generated? There, There's so many things that can come in. If you're close to extraterritorial jurisdiction, you're on the edge of a city or out in the county, but it could be developed soon. You, you know, you hear a lot of talking about rezoning. Maybe there's a lot more money to be made in that and development soon. If you, if you do a little work in front of that before you put it on the market, man, there's just uh, the, the amount of things that you can do with a piece of ground is yeah. That's, that's where I think a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill, it goes beyond just me being a, having a, a range management background. I can tell people a lot about what you can do with just what you got. When you start looking about future plans and what's what's capable of being done with that property in the future, that, that's where I think you start you start splitting hairs now into somebody that's really trying to help you and, and somebody just wants to get a sale because there's a lot more involved there. Yeah, and I was gonna say like there's there's the little nuances that you have to understand with land. Like you're never gonna have to go into a residence in town. I'm I'm talking about in town. Residences outside of town could be a different story, but a residence in town, you're never going to have to go in and have a conversation about water rights. Like, well, your neighbor has priority, so you just got to wait until he's done. Like, so there you go. And then here's where you are in the succession of that. 
and here's where you get yours and like you you might not actually get water this year do you know that and like and walking them through those kind of scenarios or i i just had a friend actually talk to me about um one of the harvests and timber see the value of his timber on his land and and he was just like well yeah so i just want to have, have somebody tell me what it's worth right now i was like well that's that might not be the case man like you you might have a value but your value might not be able to be realized for 20 years like just depending on what your side index is like you could have an index of of whatever but like they're looking at what your land is worth in 20 years it's going to be the value now it's going to bring about value but this is unrealized value that you can't capture for 20 years and it was one of those it would he didn't believe me until he talked to a forester and I was like, I was like, okay, look up foresters in this area, talk to him, have them run a side index, talk to you about your land. And he came back like you were right. And it, it's, it's those kind of conversations that there's just little tiny nuances to land that I, I guess the the takeaway is can somebody walk off the street as a residential agent and go and sell land? Um, you know, if you don't have any background in it, you're going to have a hard time. I yeah. really, and I believe that. And I, and I, and I want to, I want to go ahead and preface this just because I've been in residential for 15 years. I'm not knocking residential people. Um, it's a different skill set. Oh, totally. All together. And, and, uh, residential has got its own quirks and then you learn a lot as you do it. Um, because you run into some, some hard stuff, uh, whether, you know, clearing title or weird surveys or, we have areas that don't have running water uh, at all anymore because they ran out of groundwater and trying to get connected to a utility district. And Ooh. you get all kinds of strangeness, survey, you know, problems with septics and what whatnot, but land is totally another world. And um, of course where I'm at, it's a big city compared to some, you see a lot of overlap when you move into the more rural communities where you get a licensed realtor and they're going to sell commercial frontage on main street they're going to sell Joe's house and they're going to sell Bob's farm. They're going to do a lot of overlapping. You know, there's not as much specialty in the rural area. I don't think so. They may be a little more used to kind of seeing a whole menagerie of stuff, but overall, if you just were to come out of a residential background and walk out, you don't know anything about land. It's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard because you're not even going to want to know, like, how do I get values on all this stuff? What can I do with this land? How many cattle can I run? What grass is that? Like, how much did it cost to drill a water well out here? How deep's the water table? What do I know about mineral rights? Like, what's a good fence? How do I trap a coyote? Like, you just, you know, can I put a feeder up out here and kill a deer? I mean, if you don't know any of those, you're just, you're, you're kind of wasting your time, really. Yeah. And you I, can learn it. You can learn. I was going to ask if, if it's your opinion on when you're looking at residential, you have... With, with land, it's a lot of logistics management. It's it's how does this work? What does this do? What is the value of this? And then working with the landowner. In residential, it's a lot of people management. Like, can you get by without granite countertops? Like, what do you think about this view? What do you think about the closeness of your neighbors? Like, it's more, the it's a lot of people management. Are you okay with it? You don't like the paint color, knowing that you can change the paint in the future. That's a big one to me. It's always like, I hate the paint. Like, well, then get a brush. It's not that hard. But <laughs> I get really cynical on that stuff. Like, Rick, come on, that's a paintbrush. Fix it. <laughs> and it's, it's like, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's my take. No, you're, you're right on that end. And, and that's something that I love about land is we're not arguing about the curtains. And 
and whether or not the flat screen TV mount's going to stay or not. You know, I mean, it's uh, those things are impactful to some in the house deals, and that's cool, whatever. But uh, being in real estate, probably I'm a little jaded on all that anyway. I'm just like, these things aren't that big of a deal in the grand scheme. You got a good rate. You like the house. You fix a few things and make it like you want it. You win. You know, it's a good deal. Some people are more picky than others. I get that. But overall, um, but yeah, land is different. And, and I will say from the training aspect. So this is what's cool about like national land. Cause I got to plug this. So, um, I had a guy call me, he had like a 160 acre farm and not, not, not terribly big, uh, but he was interested in, in solar, right? Well, I, yeah, I know about land, but do I know anything about solar prior to get coming on with national land? N- nothing, right? Other than I hated the solar panels that people were putting on the roofs of their houses because those can be a real pain. And, and I could do an entire segment on that. Now, um, here I am. I just got mine. I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll talk after this. <laughs> Let me run you through some pitfalls. Um, but, you know, I didn't know anything about solar, right? Solar farms. I see them. You drive by them. I know what they're doing. Didn't know how to get into it or anything about it or how people get one. And this guy said, I want solar. And, I, you know, I looked at all the stuff because we have the tools to do that, right? So I get in the land gate. I look it up. And I'm like, man, you know, you got some stuff close by, but you just don't have the acreage for the distance to get there blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, we pieced a bunch of stuff together. Neighboring landowners took us a lot of months. And two weeks ago, we were just offered a thousand dollars an acre on a solar farm. He would have never got that had we not pieced together some other parcels and he's only getting a small piece of it. I feel a little bad. He got the smallest acreage out of everybody. And he was the one that kind of helped ramrod this deal, but it's still going to be a ton of money. Uh, compared to just nothing. So I think his wasn't even being farmed anymore for CRP. Um, and, and you wouldn't know what that was, right? Maybe if you weren't in the land industry, CRP, but, um, or a farmer, but um, that's, that's some stuff that you can learn when you get involved with a company like national land, right? I was able to provide a service to that guy because I'd had the proper training to go there's potential here and yeah, I can help you. Now we got five years of option, right? There's a long way to go with a lot of stuff to work through to get there to break ground. But you know, I mean, we're, we're, it's a start. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you can be taught. um, If you get with a land company that has the right tools to teach you, I know about land, but I didn't know about solar. I didn't know about wind, not any more than what you read on the internet. Um, and so those are, those are things that you could be taught, I think with the right people. And, and that's what's so cool about our platform and with national land is they build you up for success. So it's pretty cool. I feel like, I, Oh, you're for the plugs. Those are good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm not going to lie. I'm a little proud about it. That's the best one I've ever had. And that's like number three for the year that we're working on executing on solar farms. And these are like generational wealth changers huge like you'll never get this kind of money out of a dry land i got a guy two guys that may be making potentially over a million bucks a year on a dry land farm in about four years maybe wow that's insane yeah it blows yeah, my mind yeah. and, th- and that'll change their whole life right and that's kind of it too like you are like that's you can really change somebody's life with that that's that there's there's a more impactful consultative relationship that happens i think with land in general and it I, I don't want to come across like, like I'm bagging on residential agents. It's just like 
if I'm being honest, that there's it's a very different skill set and one that I don't want. <laughs> like it, people management to me is frustrating. And, and if it's come down to managing logistics, I want to manage logistics over managing people because you can't control people. You can't make them like the, the curtains, you know, that kind of a thing that to me gets frustrated. It's like, I, I actually admire residential agents because of that, because they can manage and navigate that part. Land to me is much more interesting because it is cool to be like, okay, this is the value of this and this is how it works. And I like that stuff. So, it, but I think the main takeaway though, is that someone's not going to walk in out of either industry and know what the other one does. Like some of these guys that deal with just farms, if you put them in a residential thing, you would have, I mean, there would be burnt bridges all over the County just because you like, you, you know what I'm talking about? You get like a really a rural mindset person that sells like ranches in particular, and they go out to sell high end luxury real estate. They're going to be like, you can't paint this wall. You won't buy this house. Cause you can't, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you again. Like you can just see it like, but, but that stuff matters on the residential side and you have to be able to, to empathize with it and be like, okay, I understand. Well, here's why we can troubleshoot that. And let's go look at another house. You know, like it's, it's yeah. a totally different mindset and skill set. And it's fast pay. So when I'm like last year, I was really, really busy. I had an incredible year in residential. You're never not busy. Maybe I'm in the middle of doing home inspections, termite inspections, septic inspection, water well inspection, roof inspection, insurance inspections, you know, uh, then you got appraisals and you got surveys and you got the lender needing this and the title company needing that. And it's like the most insane 30, 40 days. It's just a whirlwind when you're under contract. Just not stop. It eats you alive. It's a time killer. And it, it was taking a lot of time for me being able to get out in the field because if I was going to go somewhere where I didn't have phone service, but we're trying to get a deal closed. And everybody's mad because they want to go on vacation and I got a moving van lined up. And, uh, I need to get the utilities turned on and I need somebody to let me in to do a walkthrough. And I need someone over there to steam clean the carpet. And oh my Lord, I got to find a walkthrough. It's nonstop. Um, it's a different ballgame. And uh, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, it seems to be a lot slower paced. There's not as much tied to all the busyness that's going. I mean, yeah, if you got a house, there's stuff that's got to be done or, yeah, there's things that can be looked at, but it's, it's not the same animal. It's a, a little different. And, and really I have found, and you hit on this, uh, and it's something that I like because I'm a very blunt person. I'm not great at sugarcoating stuff. And it's not because I want to be mean. Um, I'm just really honest about stuff. And you talk to someone about land, you can be pretty honest. I mean, you, I mean, obviously you're going to be nice. You, you need to be respectful of whatever it is that you've got going on with them. But um, you can kind of lay it out. Just tell people the truth and, and, and be more frank about stuff and have normal discussions that just don't seem to be that uh, you can't have those talks in the house level. I mean, man, you could somebody just fire you in a heartbeat and go find another another house realtor because, you know, my cousin's, you know, brother's sister is in junior league. And, you know, if, if you're not going to kiss my butt, I'll find someone that will and I'm out of here. Right. Um, and there can be a lot less loyalty. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely yeah. different. I was going to say, yeah, it's a little more transactional on basis. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, 100%. Anyways, hey, I want to let you plug your business here. I want to let you plug your time and uh, and let people know how to get a hold of you here in Texas. Okay, yeah. So... 
Uh, again, my name is National Land. National Land. Let me. Can we just delete that? Is there anybody just oh, I'm undo that? that? I'm running that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm had a day. Uh, my name is Wayne Dunson, and uh, I'm an associate broker for National Land in the West Texas office, way out in Midland, Odessa. Um, and I cover a majority of West Texas, so I'd love to hear from you if you've got something out here. Uh, you could look us up on the website nationalland.com, and then go to Texas. And you can find all the all the people in Texas listed there. Uh, you can hit me up at uh, wdunson at nationalland.com uh, or just hit me um, on my phone number, which is 432. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you my direct line. I want to make sure I do this right because uh, we've just changed numbers and I'm still learning my new number here. So I'm going to lie to you. It's 432-287-7954. So if you hit me up right there, that'll go right to my cell phone. Excellent. Wayne, as always, man, it's good talking to you. I appreciate it, Matt. That is 60 episodes down. Make sure to subscribe to the National Land Realty Podcast. This concludes episode number 60, discussing the differences between residential real estate and rural land real estate. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.